Good morning. Good morning to music. All right, you're going to start me off with with a YouTube search right out of the gate. Let's see if I can find it. Dr. Lee and Devin Miles, The Confrontation. Good morning. Good morning to music. Good morning and welcome to Atlanta A&T University marching band training. The next two weeks will be your introduction and possibly induction into a great marching band legacy. If you're here, it's because you believe in musicianship. If you're here, it's because you believe in Coltrane, Miles Davis, Stevie Wonder, and the elements known as earth, wind, and fire. So anybody who has not seen the movie Drumline, first of all, see the movie Drumline because it's pretty great. And this is coming from somebody who is not a fan of Nick Cannon in general. And and you are not in band, although you did support various band members as a... I was referred to as a band groupie in both high school and college because so many of my friends were in the band. And uh, in fact, a lot of people that I knew that were not in band... Many of them thought I was in band. That's how much I hung out around the band people. And that was even a band director. Well, or he at least knew your name. He he definitely knew who I was because I was in his his classroom quite a bit. See, in high school, the all the all the band people had to after school go pick up their instruments and go home. And so when everybody got out of their last class, the natural place to kind of congregate ended up being the band room. Because it's a huge room, lots of room to stand around and screw around, and um, and because there was plenty of room and every, and most of my friends had to go there anyway, it was the place where you just kind of migrated at the end of the school day and decided what we were doing after school, or especially on like you know Fridays because it was like what are we doing you know tonight and this weekend, so which was basically sitting around playing. Some kind of card game or something with you. <laughs> Usually it was Risk. Yeah. Which is not whatever. a card game. Whatever. Still some kind of nerd game. Yes. Nerd games and nerd movies. Not always nerd movies. Just sometimes just movies. But but anyway, Drumline is a movie that even if you were not in band can be appreciated. It's got some great music in it. And it's just kind of a fun story. I mean, it's, you know, a... Uh, it's 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 like a college movie, you know, like so many other college movies. I mean, it is I don't think I don't think Atlanta ANT is an actual school. Yeah, Atlanta ANT is fictional for the purposes of the movie. However, it is very clearly modeled on many of the historically black colleges and universities that are in the South. Um and in fact it was shot at a college called Clark Atlanta U- University. And so there is a huge, um, the the Southern classic that's in the movie is very much a real competition and, um, that, that the historically black colleges, because they are big into marching band and a particular style of marching band that incorporates a lot more, almost dance among the, I don't know how you describe it. I mean, it's still marching, but it's. It, a little more energy. It's got a hell of a lot more style than uh, than your typical. Definitely, it's not your just 
I mean, I don't go into band geekness or nerdness. Oh, do it. Get in there. I mean, there's the low march, which is the traditional, I guess, kind of march. Like, in the parade, is a low march. But they oh, okay. get more into the in high. Like, like small steps. Just low. Your feet don't leave the ground very far. Right. Similar to moonwalking, I guess you could say. Oh, actually, if, yeah. I guess, I guess technically your feet don't, your, one of your feet is always in, or both feet are always in contact with the ground. Is that the deal? You're just kind of shuffling almost. See, these are terms, I hung around the band a lot, but I did not actually <laughs> learn all the terminology. So they do a lot more high marching and I guess you could even say gyrating at times. Gyrating makes it sound like they're thrusting their hips, which actually I guess in, in some cases they are. They, they are but, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, this is this is where, you know, in, in a lot of colleges, when a band enters the field, they will frequently have like, I mean, I know this was the case at Arkansas, their, their, their tr traditional entrance involves like one or two people doing the high step thing down the field. Right. Yeah, we but did for In these cases, and you know, the, the style that these schools use, it, it could be the entire band doing that in, in some cases. Well, and then they're, um, I'm trying to now think of the word for, I don't have enough coffee yet. That person directing. You're talking about the drum major? Yes. So the drum major. Some terminology <laughs> I do know. <laughs> so, like, as you will see even in the movie, their drum major, like, they have a kind of, like, baton stick thing. And they, like, twirl it around, throw it up in the air, do all kinds of acrobatic, gymnastic stuff and then like do the splits and catch it i mean it's more it there's a lot showy. more showmanship yeah i found a video for southern university marching band and dancing dolls doing hello by adele so this is pretty recent let's see what it looks like Oh, and I guess actually this is going to be a bad example because the band is clearly sitting still. So it's just going to be the... I, I still want to wait for it to kick in though just to hear it. To hear the arrangement. So yeah, it's like instead of really like flags, they have these girls that do more dancing versus... It's twirling like, anything. It's like drill team, basically. Yeah. That's what we would we would have yeah. called that back in the day. Dance squad, like like different schools call it different things, but not cheerleaders, but the the larger group of of ladies usually who just dances. That's what they're like. Although th these are about the size of a cheerleading squad.
Okay, that's not that one. Okay, Bayou Classic. I'm sorry, that's what the... I think that's what they actually are basing the thing on in the show. Let's see here. Oh, a battle. Was like Gramblin's another good one. Grambling is yeah, they definitely uh, are talked about a lot. It's no time for Bradley. And from the nation's capital, Jalen Vanessa Hawkins. Gyrating. John Majors being that was like a back bend, but not putting your both hands down. Just did a back bend. I mean, they had their staffs to, I guess, to balance with, but they bent backwards until their feathers on their caps touched the ground. Like literally folded backwards. actually really nice so they it's apparently a player for the other team that was the other team not their team yeah he specifically said southern university oh, okay. oh, now we're spelling spell, something else out. there i guess it is it still spelling when it's a number th number 33 for opposing player tigers Incidentally, this is all happening at the Superdome in New Orleans because neither one of these schools has a <laughs> has a stadium big enough to house all the people that want to come to this game in particular, I'm sure. And this is one football game you go to where people leave the stands to go get a snack or go to the bathroom during the football game. And everybody's butt is in their seat for the halftime show. shoots uh, for Grambling does a much better job of getting uh, angles that give you more uh, look at how many cameras they've got out there 
I mean, some of these are probably for whatever TV was broadcasting it at the time, but... That's crazy. game must have aired on NBC because why otherwise would both schools have done a shout out to the Wiz if you don't recognize the song this is ease on down the road from the Wiz okay I wasn't sure how familiar with the Wiz you were I mean um, the song is ease on down the road I don't know what the Wiz is I don't know what the Wiz is. It's, it's a, it's basically the story of the Wizard of Oz. Oh, okay. But it was done. I think it was done first as a movie. Maybe it was done as a as a, a play, or you know, stage production first. The movie version had uh, Michael Jackson as the Scarecrow, so it was an all black version of the, of the Wizard of Oz. And they reconceptualized the music and all that. I think I found another video of the same Southern University one we already watched, but this one is actually low angle. So we won't watch it all again, but. He cheated because he actually rested on his hat. I <laughs> got really low. Sounds like almost squatting on the ground. This is a much better one. It's a lot more on the field. This is the one they put up after the fact when they edited it in. So just for comparison, looking at this video where they where we can actually see them stepping on the field. So those are th that's much higher than what anything you did back in the day i mean we did some high stepping but not predominantly it was, it was very much the exception rather than the rule right correct whereas i mean that's the style they're using for the entire show yes which just looks exhausting i mean it is
I mean, this is the reason people are as into watching these halftime shows as the game itself because there, there's a there's a level of uh, athleticism, quite frankly, on display here that is, you know, equal to many of the athletes in the actual game. Okay. So yeah, I'll, clearly I'll include links to uh, to those those videos. Um, so anyway, Drumline is a movie about college marching bands in at historically black Southern uh, colleges. So uh, it's definitely a, a world that neither you or I are actually familiar with in real life. No. Other than I'm not. from watching videos like this. And I will say the uh, there's always a point at which, I mean, like this one they call the Bayou Classic is when Grambling and Southern University play. There are several of these games during college football season where uh, if you keep an eye out, a lot of times they'll air on channels that don't normally show a lot of football. And you can... BET. Uh, the BET Classic... I believe is then that's the one I that's what I wasn't thinking of a minute ago. Let me look. Uh, oh, the fictitious BET Big Southern Classic from the 2002 film Drumline was similar to the Honda Battle of the Bands, sometimes called the Honda or HBOB, is an annual marching band exhibition in the United States which features performances by bands from historically black colleges and universities, sponsored by the American Honda Motor Corporation. The Invitational Showcase takes place in the Georgia Dome in Atlanta, Georgia in late January. Oh, and then they do a tour at regular season football games. Hmm. Oh, but this first took place in 2003, and the movie was from 2002, so I don't know how they could say the movie was... Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? But it, it probably, just inspired it probably from just it. wasn't... Uh, I'm going to bet that it just wasn't... It probably existed before that. It just wasn't sponsored by Honda. Oh, they didn't say it was inspired. They just said it was similar. Oh, this is an invitational showcase, and there are no winners, except for this year where they said there was a winner <laughs> in the in the table. Okay. That's probably enough band talk for today. I will say that down in Murfreesboro, it was like pretty much the biggest marching band competition I went to in high school. It was the one that we pretty much... Was that hosted by MTSU? Correct. Middle Tennessee State University for the uninitiated? Yes. That's where our new team member is joining us from. Correct. I'm trying to think of what they're... Blue Raiders? Oh, I have no idea. Can't remember. Um, I mean, it was... Lots of bands came from... I mean, like Elizabethtown, Kentucky. That's not their... A blue-winged horse. Oh, I said mascot. That's not what... They are the Blue Raiders. <laughs> They're not the Lightning. Their current mascot is a blue-winged horse named Lightning, adopted as the mascot in 1998. When the athletic department updated its image in preparation for its upgrade to Division One and transfer to the Sun Belt. And I don't know what they were before that. Do I need... But they were in the Ohio Valley Conference, OVC. They were until 2000. Okay. So when you were in high school, yes, they were. I was out of high school by then. Oh. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. 
but no like oh they're not even in the sunbelt anymore they're in the conference usa now but they had bands from like kentucky i remember elizabethtown maybe a few even up in like indiana or something elizabethtown i think always beat us like one year we finally like made it in like the top three or something it was like amazing so it was a good competition for us because we basically won every other competition. We won state three of my four years. Well, would you like a little history about their mascot? I'm sure it's kind of... Here comes the racism. I'm sure there is. MTSU's original mascot was Nathan Bedford Forrest, a Confederate general and early leader in the KKK. Because of Forrest's ties to the KKK, the mascot was later changed to a blue-colored scent hound dog named Old Blue in the 1970s. So it took them until the 1970s to realize, hey, maybe this dude from the KKK is not who we want representing our, uh, our school. Wow. The South. I'm just going to say wow. We don't live in the most progressive part of the country. Let's put it this way. Um, we live in the part of the country where currently state legislatures are spending a whole hell of a lot of time worrying about who is going in which bathroom and what anatomical parts they have, whether or not that has anything to do with it. Michelle's just nodding at me. She doesn't want to get into it. I don't. because I mean, and... You don't want to talk about the ridiculous transphobia that is all around us? I mean, I obviously am on Facebook. I see everybody post their different views. They, you know, there's the, there's the post. The beauty of having no listeners is we don't have to worry about alienating anybody. True. But go ahead. But, I mean, there's, you know, the Christian view of how horrible homosexuality is or transgender, you know, whatever you want to dislabel that whole thing as. Then you have the mom view, which I can, I guess, kind of understand better, is the fear of pedophiles or whatever hanging around bathrooms. Um, but then, uh, once again, you you have to be a parent. You have to, I mean, my child, our child is four. I'm still going to go into the bathroom with her. And, I mean... At the age that you're letting your child go to the bathroom without you, you should probably have the conversation about stranger danger. And at that point, they should probably be able to make, you know, if somebody's trying to touch them inappropriately or yeah, whatever. It, it applies to anybody in any bathroom, regardless of their gender identification. And like this is the, you know, we don't have to get into the whole thing, but... but I, I know your point of view of like you want to be able to go into the bathroom with our daughter well, and not be and then the mom moms of boys have the same problem the the whole you know one of the one of the practical things that I think is ridiculous about these laws is they're so poorly written that it could actually be interpreted that it's wrong to take your own child to the bathroom um yeah, exactly. I'm not I'm not going to stand outside the ladies room and just send my 4-year-old in there who doesn't really know how to wipe herself properly at this point. On well, the fact Here, that yeah, yeah, honey, go in and just, you know, 
pee all over yourself and and, and who knows because you don't know what kind of toilets they have and all that so that's the practical side of it the uh, like for me personally but for people who actually are it all stems for me for people who don't agree with as if it's something that they get to have, you know, have an opinion, they get to have an opinion about it, but it's not a choice for them to make. You have these people with very traditional beliefs or what they call traditional, and they don't think people should be transgender. They don't think that should be allowed. And so they are crafting big, scary problems that don't actually exist to have a reason to make a discriminatory law. That's what it comes down to for me. So there, there are, there are not, there is not a rampant, you know, amount of cases of people being accosted by, by a transgender person in a bathroom. On the contrary, the transgender people themselves are far more likely to be persecuted the, if, a, if a transgender person walks into a bathroom, any bathroom, regardless of, you know, what some, uh, you know, Southern Baptist might think is the right bathroom for them to be in, that transgender person statistically is in far more danger of being um, threatened, abused, anything than anybody else in that bathroom. There's a reason that the highest suicide rate mm -hmm. in the country is with transgender people. They, I mean, they are on the whole. Or just even homosexual persecuted. People. Yeah, I mean, and and even even among even among gay people uh, in that group. And I just looked it up because I the, the you know you you and I used to be pretty involved in what at the time was referred to as the LGBT uh, resource group when we both worked at uh, Walmart. And that stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. They've gotten a little more nuanced because there's there's different levels of gender identification that, that people have. Um, and so the latest that I just found is LGBTQIA. So it's lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex, and asexual. So it's the whole point of this. I'm glad I added asexual because I mean there are. Yes, I mean that's a, that you know the. I think whole... I had one of those. I mean, I knew a girl in high school. I think that was pretty much that. Like, I mean, she literally, like, I think even in high school, really wanted to like be fixed. Like as as a woman, like take her ovaries out and whatever because she had like no desire to. She just wasn't into it. Yeah, she, she to just opt out essentially. Yeah, and so I remember it kind of being. And um, other people are just kind of like, what? The, 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 the reason this is a big struggle for people, I think, is because there are, you know, all of human history has built gender roles into our culture, our society. And so you have, you know, tens of thousands of years, millions, I don't know what the exact number is, since Cro-Magnon Man of building in roles for men and roles for women in human society. And so what's happening now is we've, you know, we've evolved to a point as a species where people are no longer willing 
to be pigeonholed into the roles that are traditionally identified. And that in, on, a, on a really low level is, you know, me not making you do all the housework. Well, it even goes down to... But it, go ahead. I mean, we've talked before and we've kind of seen some changes. And I mean, I know Target is more... I forget how people call it. Um, I guess progressive. Yeah. They're more progressive, and you can even see in their toy aisle, you've kind of seen some changes where... They removed the gender identification. Right. It's like all Legos are pretty much together, whether it's the elves edition or more girly fairies and whatever. Because, I mean, yes, you can look at our daughter. She can go from wanting to watch Barbie or play with you know, Barbies or My Little Ponies to wanting to watch Star Wars or build with some Legos. And it's just, you know, that's yeah. who she is. And That's exactly right. She uh, she wants to go dig in the dirt one minute, and the next minute she wants to brush her pony's hair. And she runs from the bugs while she's digging dirt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so the, yeah, so, the, so companies like, Target. Now, they got some outside pressure, I think, to do it, but, but they still made the right call ultimately, which is, yeah, they're, they're, they're grouping toys by the kind of toy instead of who it's, you know, traditionally for. Because so even the, some of the Disney, let me like, you can look at Paw Patrol. I can see, I mean, it's kind of more, I can see where people will call it more of a, a, little boy show but they do have like a little girl pup on it and all this other stuff so they try to but then i mean or like blaze they'll be enjoyed watching blaze for a while and i mean i can see that geared more towards boys and stuff but it's like i'm glad now i can actually kind of i don't have to be like okay this is the barbie area so all this is gonna be girly stuff you know i need to go down this aisle to find whatever girl show penelope's into or whatever I can actually go through like a Disney aisle and get all the different Disney shows. And of course, you know, I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff at work here. You got the media companies are still, you know, trying to figure out how they, uh, you know, how they want to make shows. They're, they're still making a show that's, you know, in their minds targeted to boys or targeted to girls and in very traditional definitions. And, but the the ones what what I think is really cool is a lot of the most successful shows are the ones that are dropping a lot of that and being more universal and realizing that they can just appeal to kids. They don't have to appeal to you know particular um, demographics or whatever. And so, especially something like I mean, like Blaze is a good example. So Blaze is about like big trucks, like monster trucks. They're anthropomorphized monster trucks, so they, you know, they have eyes and mouths, and and it, it's, <laughs> um, they don't, you know, you don't see their parts. It's not like that terrible second Transformers movie where the cars had like testicles, you know. They don't, they don't, it's because it's a kid show. Thankfully, they don't, you know, go to that level of anatomical detail, but, uh, but yeah, so they realize that like. Kids just think, you know, you know, lots of kids, not all kids, but lots of kids just think big machinery is cool. I think, I mean, you know, it, there's a reason there's shows on TV 
like you know discovery and other channels have shows that are all about like the giant equipment they use to make you know huge buildings and bridges and that kind of stuff um again bob the builder something penelope's into that yeah and the the point being you know that you know we're not we're not telling our daughter oh you can only you know you can only do the things that are you know women things to do like no i like to i like that we can see you know different shows that give her a you know an idea that that okay you know as a woman you can do all kinds of things and i look forward to media being more inclusive where you know uh, you know our daughter's not fully matured yet we don't know where she's going to land in terms of gender identity and all that kind of stuff you know i i hope there are you know not not just for our kid but for all kids that there is uh, a, a representation of people from different perspectives so they can see role models for themselves in media we, we talked last time about um the whitewashing of stuff and i feel like it's the same thing with you know gender roles if all kids ever see are you know 1950s gender roles in media then that's i mean that's not the kind of media i want you know my child exposed to i want i want her to have more of a more of an open mind so there's a term that i have seen that i don't know whether you have or not but cisgender it gets thrown out there a lot or you'll 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 see it abbreviated as cis c-i-s um, it's a term for someone who has a gender identity that aligns with what they were assigned at birth so the term was created for referring to non-transgender people without alienating transgender people. So basically what it means is, so you and I are cisgender. And so you'll see people uh, refer to that, you know, that's a very cis way of, you know, thinking about things or whatever. And so that's, that would be like, you know, what, what some people like to label as traditional um you know, I think it's more like, yeah, I feel like traditional is a pejorative word. It's like traditional means you're, you're weird if you don't, if you're not this. And that's, I think, the subtle or not so subtle connotation when, uh, when you have people out there saying, well, I'm for, I'm for traditional values or traditional marriage or traditional whatever. And there's stuff that I quite frankly don't get you know, and, 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 but that doesn't mean I need to alienate it. You know, I hear people talk about open marriages and, and other, you know, kinds of relationships, you know, and things like that. Are you not for open marriage? <laughs> Very funny. Um, I thought we had one. And in fact, there's a, there's a great, there was a great conversation about it on uh, Merlin's show with Max Tempkin called Top Scallops. It was their show that was ostensibly about Top Chef, Top but Chef. they very rarely actually. Uh, the, the the best parts of it were when they didn't talk about Top Chef. <laughs> Honestly, there's only 15 episodes of the show. People should just listen to the entire <laughs> Top Scallops. It's delightful. I haven't seen a single episode of Top Chef ever, and the show is still fantastic because they talk about a lot more than just Top Chef. And even when they do talk about Top Chef, they do it in such a way that you don't really have to have watched the show. In fact, a lot of their listener feedback from people who do watch the show was people, there were like iTunes reviews where people were like, gosh, they barely even talk about Top Chef. You know, like, gosh, guys, could you at least watch the show? You know, 
<laughs> they would because because they'd, they'd be talking about something and be like do you remember who won this challenge oh i don't have that in my notes <laughs> so it was pretty uh it's pretty delightful so back to toys and kids playing with whatever yeah. i feel like it seems more okay i guess for girls to be able to play with boy toys i still get hesitation from boy moms like a lady i know that was like my son watches doc mcstuffins and then it gets into all the like doctor shows and whatever i'm like what's wrong with doc mcstuffins yeah doc mcstuffins is about a kid who plays doctor to her toys and you know on from our end of things it's great to see the idea that she could be a doctor that she's not a nurse you know it's that it's not nurse mcstuffins right and what's cool is that like her mom is a doctor that's how she kind of you know she's trying to be like her mom oh doesn't her dad stay at home on the show kind of base like I th- oh think he's he... an inventor isn't he doesn't he work out of the basement or something i can't remember he he definitely has a job i don't think he's a stay-at-home dad but He's definitely home more. You see him more in the episodes of being home and stuff like that, unless it's the weekend and she's going over to a sleepover. Then kind of see mom or if she has to go into the clinic with her mom or something. But yeah, I mean, even for that, that's, you know, I like how that's more progressive as well, saying, yes, even dads can kind of be more of the full-time parent figure. Marcus McStuffins, Doc and Donnie's father, a stay-at-home dad, and chef extraordinaire. Oh, okay. A chef Somebody was paying a little more attention to the show. What? I knew he was home more. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's one of these things where, you know, Disney, actually, I read, I read an article a while back. I'll see if I can find it. Um, I think it was in Wired Magazine or maybe Business Week, and it was talking about when Disney created Doc McStuffins because they did it directly in response to Dora the Explorer. They Disney was sitting around going, looking at how incredibly successful Dora was for Nickelodeon, and they were like, oh, shit. Like, we need this. We need, and so they basically tried to reverse engineer. And the way they did it was, oh, we need to, we need to create a show that has mass, that has broader appeal, that isn't a boy show or a girl show it needs to be a kid show which is when they got diego with on. well that's what they were they were trying to emulate was you know dora wasn't just wasn't just a little girl there was there was the diego kid too we're an anti-dora household because we find her annoying yeah at least doc mcstuffins is not annoying actually it was funny so penelope went with me to the dentist the other day and the hygienist was was trying to you know kind of chat her up and find out what what things she was into and she goes and she was started naming things do you like this or that and dude she's dora and penelope didn't react at all she was just like <laughs> like she didn't like the lady was speaking a foreign language and i'm sitting there with she's got all her tools and hands in my mouth and i'm sitting there kind of smiling going like yes success my child doesn't even know who dora is Boom. Parenting win right there. Of course, it's all out the window as soon as she starts school, but we got a year and a half from that. Luckily, we do not have Nickelodeon. I will say on the bathroom front, it's a good thing our daughter kind of has a, what some people might actually kind of claim as a sensory disorder. 
but because it gets loud in there, she'll almost definitely want one of us in there with her. Because somebody has to cover her ears or help her sit on the toilet. Yeah, I mean, she definitely... I mean, no, no, none of her checkups have ever indicated that she has, like, hypersensitive hearing or anything. But, boy, yeah, she she reacts strongly whenever there's a really loud uh, um, noise. Okay, yeah, it was, it was, uh, I found the article on Bloomberg. I think this is it from November 2013 because that's back when I still subscribed to Business Week, so that must be where I saw it. And it was about, uh, at that time it was about how Doc McStuffins toys were going to be as or more popular than Dora for Christmas 2013. Um, I also found an article from, I think the year prior from New York Times that, uh, talks about it too so so anyway so i think it was Chris, our first christmas in this house was 14 and i think one of the biggest toys for that year was the dock that, that duck mobile i mean like i mean it was big for our child i think even as i would oh you're I, saying just in general that was yeah because i because i found a place that had a deal on it and drove all the way to like franklin to That's get right. It. I remember you were you were excited about scoring that, and I was like, "The what? Huh? What?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was familiar with the show, but and of course, what's lately? She's like, she's been kind of playing with it more, and I think she was asking me if she could get a bicycle and somehow get to where she could still pull it from behind her bicycle, like in the episode of. Doc McStuffins where... She wants to have a mobile clinic? Yes, she wants the mobile clinic. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty adorable. Just like she wants to build a house. It was more bicycle friendly. There's too many hills here. And crazy people. But anyway, I guess that's what we have the park for. So you want to talk about... uh, Well, one thing we have to talk about is we have to update our non-listeners with the tally of nudity in Game of Thrones. Oh, you're right. And so... I don't have my telephone with me, but I will share a screenshot in the show notes that I took. Because I found an app called, I believe the app is called Tally Counters. It's gone on iTunes. Yeah, I don't want to... I hate putting iTunes uh, yeah. links in the show notes. But uh, I was hoping maybe I could find the... I'll find the um, developer and put it in there. But anyway... um. It let me it let me create uh, five different counters to put on the uh, uh, screen. So when we're watching Game of Thrones this season, we'll be able to quickly record uh, any occurrences of the the five categories were boobs, female frontal, female rear, male frontal, male rear. So this is kind of funny given our our lengthy gender conversation, but yes, we're we're using the um, you know the cisgender <laughs> definitions to uh, to do the categories. The part of this exercise, as we talked about last time, is um, we'll see how imbalanced it is over the course of the season, because certainly our impression is uh, is that it's been very imbalanced uh, up to now. Because in, in episode one, it was surprisingly tame from a nudity standpoint. They were too busy catching up a thousand different storylines. It was actually kind of a boring episode. Spoiler alert for season six, episode one of Game of Thrones. Um, 
And actually, the only thing I'm really going to spoil is where the nudity was. Um, and it was, the episode was called The Red Woman. And it closed with the uh, Melisandre, the, the red priestess. And uh, she removed her necklace that she always wears for the first time ever that we've seen. And it revealed that, in fact, that necklace is part of her magic. Because she's actually a super old lady. Like, probably hundreds of years old. Like, yeah. really, really old. Because she took her top off like she does all the time. So you saw boobs. Like, non-ancient old lady boobs. Yeah. And then she took her necklace off. And it was like, oh. Gross. Now they're super old lady. Saggy. Sagging down to her waist boobs. And then she backs away. And you saw full frontal nudity of super old pale old lady did i say old i mean she was old so i just want to say shout out to i guess the makeup and costume crew it would be interesting to see a breakdown of how much of that was makeup and how much was cgi because you know they'll they'll blend these days yeah because because yeah whoever's in charge of that particular moment you deserve an award (laughs) whatever award that should be (laughs) i'm gonna go ahead and give you the special privilege privilege. we'll call it the yikes award (laughs) because yikes um a lot of time and attention went into crafting that really creepy old lady nudity uh scene i wonder where their inspiration came from somebody who saw their grandmother naked at some point i think um she even had the like pooch lower belly yeah, thing. Was... I mean, it was like it was pretty. Uh, it was pretty spot on. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's what I would expect from a hundred and fifty year old probably person. Or I think that's probably a good call. That's that's about how that's where I'd peg her age at. Um, who knows? Well, maybe we'll find out in the show how old she really is. But clearly, if there was any doubt, which there shouldn't have been, based on what she's already done. But she does clearly have some magic. This is a fantasy universe. You know, people, I think sometimes people like to say like, oh, it's medieval, you know, like, uh, no, it's, it's fantasy because it's, they live in a world that. Dragon lady, hello. And there's, yeah, dragons and there's clearly magic in this universe. Which everybody's hoping for at this point because they're hoping she will bring Jon Snow back from the dead. I'm hoping uh, he becomes a White Walker and goes around murdering people, like all the d bags who stabbed him. That could be like in my book. I didn't say I finished a book. Michelle finished a book. I have completed one of my twelve for the year. What's it called? In the season. The in bitter the season, season. The bitter season. By Doctor Hogue. <laughs> Was it Tammy or I Tracy? Believe it, I believe it's just Tammy Hogue. But I have been calling calling it Doc Hogue, as in the movie uh, Doc Hollywood, all this time. So before the child wakes up, you want to talk about room for a little bit? Oh my goodness, that just it, it just struck me, and just like I basically kind of almost didn't have to. I had to force myself not to pay attention before I like had emotional breakdowns. I think at certain points because it was just so spoiler alert for room um, emotional we watched it a week or so ago and 
yeah, so we neither of us had read the book. Michelle had not heard a thing about this movie, so Michelle went in completely cold. Um, I all I knew of it was that it was a woman and presumably her son, and they lived in a room, and they never left the room. That's all I knew about it. I didn't know why or any of the backstory, which was very interesting to watch it that way because we both went in not knowing how they got there and what the circumstances were. So did you think when the movie started, did you think that they were somebody's prisoner? No, I thought like some kind of, I mean, I want to say like end of, end of, end of the world type scenario. I did. It was, I mean, kind of something like that, but not really, I guess some of the movies we've seen where it's, you know, doomsday, whatever. It felt kind of post-apocalyptic or something, didn't it? Like, like there had been some kind of event. I mean, I think they very much constructed it that way on purpose. And I, and I almost want to read the book now to see if the book is kind of framed in that way. Because the, the movie opens with them kind of doing their daily routine in, in, in room. As they refer, they don't call it the room, they call it room. Because it's, she raises the little boy he's never left the room and so she uses language and explains everything to him in a way that is as if nothing exists outside room right and but the way that they go about their daily routine and it seems like they have a nice little life that they've built inside and yeah it kind of led me to believe that um that it wasn't a bad thing that they were there and even at the point at which the guy that we find out later is the captor, the kidnapper, the abuser, um, comes and visits and drops off supplies. What you hear in their dialogue and all that, um, sounds like he could be out there in the terrible wasteland world gathering supplies and all that. Cause she says she needs something and he's, cause he's, doesn't he say something like, do you do you know what have any idea what it's like out there or whatever? Yeah, like, uh, and like he's having to you know fight for right. You know, at that point you still felt like it wasn't like they were being treated badly or she had been treated badly. Yeah, he says it in such a way that it's like it's a privilege that she doesn't have to go out right and and deal with it, whatever it is. Of course, what we find out is that. The dude is a skeezy kidnapper who kidnapped a 17-year-old girl and shut her up in his shed in his backyard that Mm -hmm. he had outfitted to be self-contained, including a toilet and a shower, or not a shower, but a bathtub, Um, a little kitchen area, and like everything you would need to survive as long as he replenishes it with supplies and keeps it heated, you know, heated and cooled presumably so she's washed all the clothes in the yeah, sink or bathtub or whatever and exactly they hung up their stuff to dry um and it has a skylight so there is natural light that comes in um but of course because it's a skylight they can just see straight up there's no there's no way to look out and see what's going on that's why the boy doesn't think anything exists outside the room they have a television too and so he thinks that it's on pretend that, or... yeah, everything on television is, is a pretend thing. And she's let him believe that because she feels like he might, you know, go crazy wanting to get out if, uh, if he understood what was out in the world. Um, but I guess about what, about halfway through the movie, 
I would say about a third of the way through yeah. the movie, she comes up with a plan to get him out of the room, basically teaches this five-year-old boy to play dead so she could fake his own death or fake his death and get the guy to take him somewhere to get rid of the body. And she's counseled the kid on how to unroll himself out of the carpet that she's rolled him up in. In the back of a moving truck. In the bed of the truck. That way, when the truck stops, the kid can hop out and and hand somebody the note in his pocket. Meanwhile, him tracking left turns and right turns, stops and stuff like that, so that when somebody does find him or he finds somebody to talk to, how to get them back to her. Yes. Um... Did she tell him that, or I thought she was just telling him which which stop sign to, like, that what it would feel like to get to a stop sign, and that's when he should get out. I don't know. Maybe and, because and, he remembered all that, and that's how they. Well, no, the cop uh, lady was really smart. Is what is what happened. Um, so the kid ends up getting out. It's in a neighborhood. The, the guy's out walking his dog, and. Maybe it sees clearly that the kid doesn't want to go with the guy because the guy... Well, he tried to jump out. I he, guess the the truck was turning a different direction than what he expected. Yes. So basically he flung him back long. into the truck. He waited too long to get out at the stop sign and the truck started moving again. So he ended up falling out of the truck instead of jumping out of the truck. And so that meant the guy was able to get out of the truck and catch up to him in this yard. But... It was suspicious enough that this dude walking his dog was like, hey, hey, is everything okay here? Hey, I'm going to call, I'm going to go ahead and call the cops. You know, like this is a little, and and so the guy bolted and left the kid. And so the cops come and collect the kid who's, you know, clearly is. Freaked out. Yeah, totally freaked out. Is, you know, bewildered that, you know, you know, an hour ago didn't know that the world existed. And, uh. There's a couple of cops come, and the the guy cop is like your prototypical, uh, whatever. This isn't our problem. Let's call child services kind of cop. And then there's a there's a lady officer who is actually being more more caring with the kid and sitting in the back seat of the cruiser with the kid and asking the kid questions. And she basically figures out where they need to go, like reverse engineers from her conversation with the kid who's barely talking how to get back to where the kid came from. And so they find the shed and they free the mom. Which we were expecting. We kind of expected. We she was going to be dead. Yeah, he was going to go straight back and just slice and dice. Instead, what he did was immediately ran, which made more sense when I thought about it. I was like, okay, if if he's thinking the cops are going to get called and this kid, he's probably assuming, okay, I got to get the hell out of Dodge. And so if he did go back to the house, it was probably just to get some stuff to get to get on the road. Um, but yeah, so that, I, I would say about, yeah, about a third of the way into the movie, they're free. Yeah. So then what the movie really becomes about is them adjusting to being in the real world again. And like we kind of discussed, we thought it'd be more of the child having issues with the new world, but really, because yeah. she gets, um, people ask her, it's like, you didn't like try to how they get rid of the ch- or get rid of the child or 
convince can why didn't you convince the your captor to to go turn the child in and like you know drop right. it off at a firehouse or something where the child could why'd have a normal life yeah why'd you keep the child in there with you but they they give us the they set us up to think the child was going to have more trouble because initially he does you know he has a really really a really hard time when they get out of the room but um but kids are resilient he's a five-year-old kid so He's still learning and, and, and is able to start to adjust. The mom, on the other hand, the thing that I forgot about until they kind of called back to it was, oh, they set us up when they're still in room that the mom has depression because there's a day in in the room when because the, the little boy's narrating the whole thing and he and he and he says something about except when mommy has one of has uh, yeah, I can't remember if he calls it a bad day or a, something, some kind of day. She basically sleeps all day. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that's total, I mean, a very obvious sign of you know, of depression. And she has every reason to be. <laughs> yeah. She has been in this room for seven years. She was in the room for two years before the kid was born. She got pregnant in the room. She gave birth in the room. You know, we don't see all that, but it's very clear that you know, that's ever since she was 17, this is where she's been. And I guess that makes her 24 now. I mean, you can, I can imagine it's like, you know, I mean, first there's, you know, the parental bond between parent and child that, you know, would want her to keep the child with her. But then it's like, um, hello, another human being with you <laughs> when they, you know, you've already spent two years in this thing alone and i mean i mean i would say in that scenario not only is it her child that she wants to make sure is taken care of I mean, there's nothing to say even if she did convince the guy to go take it why, why why would he risk getting caught oh yeah she could be essentially asking him to go take and kill her baby if uh if she'd sent him with him so so it, it's it's a it's a great portrait of how people who don't know all the details of a situation will second guess the actions of the person who is in a terrible scenario. I mean, it happens in the media all the time, uh, and then and they and I thought they Nation did, a really they good did job that in this story showing the the consequences of somebody doing an exclusive interview with a you know, a big primetime interview and they ultimately did it because she needed the money and, and what happens as a result of that? I mean, get, get people getting vilified in the, in the media. Well, not only does she have, you know, the media, even her own father is not one to look at her son, his grandchild, because it's a product of yeah, basically being raped or whatever. Yeah. Oh, Great performance by a lot of people in this movie. Brie Larson was the was the was the um, the main lady, the mom of the little boy. She was like the little boy was amazing. Um, but what I was gonna say, you were talking about the dad. Uh, William H Macy played the uh, father of the girl who'd been kidnapped, and it was a great great performance by him. I mean. You know, playing a role that, I mean, he, he ends up being essentially a villain kind of in the movie because, yeah, he can barely, 
I mean, he's he's so glad to have his daughter back. But every time he looks at the little boy, yeah, all he can think about is that his daughter was raped. And, you know, when and abused over and over again, because that's, I mean, I think, I think they pretty much come to understand that one of the things that kept her alive all that time was that the guy continued to come and abuse her over and over and over again. Um, and, and let's, you know, I shouldn't sugarcoat and call it abuse. I mean, it was, he was raping her over and over and over again. Um, I mean, just because she learned to lay there and take it. Right doesn't mean it wasn't coerced and that she wanted it to happen. It was very clearly something that she had to do to survive. Right. And if she wanted to basically feed her child. Because, I mean, clearly he would just stop bringing them food and all. I mean, it was, you know, and she tried to shield her, her son from that as much as she could. You know, he'd bundle him up in the little closet. Yeah. Hard to do it, in a room. It was really something. I mean, very intense very emotionally draining kind of to watch that movie. It was. I won't watch it again. No. But but that doesn't mean I didn't think it was good. I mean it was it was really good. But yeah, that's a one timer. I mean I can appreciate the which I I tend to almost start doing nowadays. I don't know why. But it's like I can start appreciating the like the different effects of movies. Like, you know, oh, like, that was a really cool blast of what, you know. Oh, you're talking about, like, in, like in the way they're shot and that kind of thing? Yes, yeah, you know, different, yeah, different camera angles and stuff like that. Like, I might not like the movie, but I think, like, they did it well. They did a good job of making the story happen or whatever. Like, even this, it's like, I didn't, I mean, nobody likes a movie where somebody's been raped and as a baby and whatever. I mean, it's not like, Ooh, yeah, yeah let's go see that one. It's, yeah. It's the feel good movie of the year. But it's like, I mean, they shot it well. I mean, it. Yeah, it was, uh, there were two things filmmaking wise that, that I, that are coming to mind. One was when she rolls the kid up in the carpet and has, you know, taught him how to play dead and how to escape and all this stuff. Um, there's a shot when the guy is taking the kid and rolled up in the carpet out of the, out of room. And you get a camera angle that is from inside the rolled up carpet. So it's kid's point of view. And he gets a glimpse of his mother's face. And the look on her face is terror. I mean, it's the look on her face is, what if this doesn't work? Have I just killed my child? Mm -hmm. It's essentially the look on her face. And it was, um, that really got me. And then the other thing, and we talked about this a little bit when we were watching it, was they, in the beginning of the movie, when they're introducing us to Room, and the kid's literally walking around, and he gets up in the morning, and he says, you know, he's saying good morning to all the different things in Room. Good morning, sink. Good morning, toilet. <laughs> um, it seems like it seems spacious almost. Yeah. The way it's shot and the way a lot of the, the beginning part of the movie is shot, it's, you know, they, they live here. It's they've created a life here. If they want to do yoga, they can move the furniture out and they can do yoga in the middle of the room. And uh, it's it seems like they've, you know, got 
this, you know, they've got all these separate little living spaces that they've created. Kind of reminds me of my dorm room back in the day where we, we cry, we, we would joke that like, oh, well, this is the kitchen and this is the, you know, um, the joke was, we always said that, uh, the, with the windowsill area of the dorm room, we called that the lanai, like on the golden girls. Um, but anyway, uh, so at the beginning of the movie shot that way, but then at the end of the movie, the kid wants to see room again. And so they get permission from the cops to go back and look at it. At this point, it has been cataloged and, and, you know, gone over and over for evidence and the door is ripped off, you know, because they presumably had to break in to, to get in there in the first place. Um, just to rescue the mother. There's a keypad. Yeah. Um, and it's the, so the elements have kind of gotten in there at this point. You know, there's leaves and, you know, crud all over. But they shoot it uh, at the end of the movie. It looks tiny. It looks like a closet. I mean, it's you look at it at the end of the movie and go, how on earth could anyone have lived in here for a weekend, let alone years? It was like even this room would be... A palace compared to yeah. what they were in. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, it makes you look around the living room you're sitting in watching the movie and go, um, you know, this, you know, how could they do that? And so, such, so well crafted. And I'm sure that part of that was in the way that they built the sets for the movie and all that. Like, it would be interesting to, uh, to see like a little bit of a behind the scenes on that. Um, and kind of learn, because I'm sure that was done purposefully. Um, and certainly for the kid, um, I think it's the kid that when the kid, it's almost like you're from the kid's perspective. When the kid thought that that was all, the entire world was room, then it seemed, didn't you, there's no comparison. There's no concept of this is big or small. This is just what it is. But then once the kid has been out in the world and comes back, it, everything looks tiny. Well, then even the mom convincing the child, trying to convince him that there was life outside the yeah, room. Yeah, you believe her. And eventually, finally, like a leaf landed on the yep. skylight, and the mouse that came in. Yes. Was from outside the the room. And he you, was, you mean from TV? <laughs> you know what it just reminded me of. Did you ever have the experience of as an adult going back to a place that you hadn't been since you were a kid? It's harder for you because you didn't move around like I did. Yeah, you and I grew up all in the same house. Yeah, I mean, even in the same town and the, the same streets and all that stuff. I'm sure if I went back to my hometown now, probably have a little bit of a. Cause it's been, I mean, basically since we were married. No, we've been back since, I mean, because your parents didn't move. I mean, your parents, have, yeah. we went over before they moved back to Arkansas. But anyway, um, you have not had the opportunity that you were with me when I did it. More than it's once. It's gone. <laughs> what happened? It I'm, was right here. It was gone. I'm thinking specifically of when the house that I lived in uh, from the age of seven to nine um, in Olathe, Kansas, uh, where we lived right on the corner of a street. So we were at one end of a street 
and I have distinct memories of, you know, I learned to ride a bike at that house and riding that bike up and down that street and around the neighborhood and to my friend's house that was a couple blocks was away. And no, that was, this was the one that was not a cul-de-sac. Um, and so I have all these very distinct memories, very clear memories of how much effort it took to ride a bike from one end of the street to the other. Um, you know, thinking of things as being big hills with, you know, elevation and, um, what a long walk it was to the elementary school that I went to there and, um, all that stuff. And then we go back there, Michelle and I, it's been many years ago now, but it had been 15 years probably since I'd been there and it was so tiny. It was unbelievable. Like we, we turned down the street and I was like, oh, I'll cruise down to the end of the street. And then we'll turn around and come back so we can kind of, you know, cruise past the house a little slowly. And I'm like, I, I remember getting to the end of the street and being like, what the hell? Like I was actually sitting there at the end of that street from my childhood going, did they change this neighborhood somehow? Like had they, had they like cut an additional road in and somehow shortened the street? Because <laughs> it, it was just, it was crazy how small it was compared to my memory of it. And then, uh, you know, I, I, you know, talk to people and this, this is a very common phenomenon because when you're a kid, everything's from a kid's perspective and you're looking out and things, things seem huge. You know, everything seems taller because you're shorter. You know, it's, it's all this, you know, all this stuff. And I'm certain that if I step foot in that house, it would seem tiny compared to my memories of it because that I've not been able to do. Um, but yeah, and, and the same thing, we went to the other house in Overland Park too, that I was, yeah. we moved away from that house when I was in the, uh, ninth grade. Uh, but even that one, the street seemed shorter. The, that was the cul-de-sac one. Um, yeah, everything, everything, uh, your memories of it are larger that's the one where it was close to the school and they had like redid the school. Well, yeah, that was the whole, that was the whole, you can't go home again thing where everything changes and all that. That wasn't the case with the, with the going past the two houses because the streets were identical uh, to what I remembered. But the, uh, but yeah, the elementary school on the other hand, we drove, drove past my elementary school and they had literally built a brand new elementary school on the same property next to the one that I went to and then destroyed the school that I went to. Like not a single piece of it remains. It's not like your high school in, in Arkansas where they kind of added on to it or right. kind of, you know. You know. They, they, several of the buildings still exist and all that. But no, no, they just went ahead and, and leveled the entire thing. Although it happened there too where I was like, hey, I'll take you around back. Uh, we'll go around the high school and like, like, yeah, around here's the cafeteria. Oh, no, wait, that's a pile of rubble because they just destroyed the entire building. Yeah, we're we're something, humans. We have a way of, you know, we create these spaces and then we we don't build them for the long term anymore. We build them for 20 to 40 years and then it's time to take a bulldozer to it and build a new thing. Like our house. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I knew I was setting you up for it. So yeah, room. Should we end on an up note? Do you want to talk about Brooklyn a little bit since the child's not up yet? 
Oh, actually, you know what I want to end on? Here's the app note I want to end on. I think I found the Doc Hollywood. I think I found the Doc Hollywood clip. Okay, here's the situation. Yes. Your son is turning blue because he has an abnormal mitral valve. It's causing a back. Doc Hollywood is a tremendous movie. Everyone should see it. It totally holds up. Doctor Hulk said you should give the boy a coke. What? He said it's probably got a belly ache and that you should give him a coke. <laughs> Dr. Hoag says give the boy a Coca-Cola. Listen, doctor, I got a boy here in cardiac crisis. You can't treat that with Coca-Cola or Bisquick. We're going to have to use real medicine this time. Now, I'm sending him to Athens General. You're his regular fucking doctor. You get your fat ass out of bed. Get down here and go with him. F word from Michael J. Fox. This movie was PG-15, just so you know. It also had boobs in it. I saw this in the theater in 1991. I don't know how they let an 11-year-old do this in the theater. By myself, by the way. Where's Stone? Dr. Hogg? What the hell kind of snot-nosed puppy doctor are you anyway? Wake me out of a sound sleep? Scare these poor folks out of their Mitchell skivvies? Mitchell Valve Regurge. Ah. Look, I've had a lot of experience with it in the ER, okay? I've even assisted in the surgery to correct. Now, God only knows how long he's had this, but I guess you overlooked it. Now, why don't you go and check his color? Nurse Packer, get that crap off of the boy. Gene? You gave him the bismuth subnitrate, didn't you? Well, at first we thought it was the skin. You gave him so too we... much, as usual. Turned him three shades of blue. Bismuth subnitrate? Homegrown and acid. You hear a heart murmur? No, it's hard to detect. Exactly. You've been sampling your daddy's chore. Uh -huh. That'll be 65 cents. Well, nice work, Tommy. carries a can of Coke. What the heck? Huh. I'm having the audio. Come on. That's the best part. Am I going to have to recreate it? Nice work, Hollywood. You about, to, you about to crack open the boys just to cure a case of diarrhea. <laughs> they totally failed me. I'm finding that audio somewhere. And so I can put it in here. So, so first of all, Apparently the AMC theater chain was a little lax about checking ages to, to allow people in, in 1991 in Overland Park, Kansas, because yes, I definitely saw that. Let me see when it came out. Yeah. August, 1991. So I was on summer break from school. I was going to a movie like every day. I'd ride my bike over to the movie theater. I spent all my allowance on, uh, on going to the movies and it uh, it was a tremendous movie. Michael J. Fox in his prime. This is post Back to the Future. Uh, who else is in it? You've got uh, Julie Warner plays his love interest and the ambulance driver, Lou. There's a, there's a comedic moment when he thinks he assumes Lou is a man. Got Woody Harrelson, uh, Bridget Fonda. The whole cast is great. All the townspeople and everything. Oh, it's so good. Makes me want to go watch it right now. And they, Doc Hogue. They made that movie for $17 million. How about that? And it made $54 million in the box office. Here's the problem with movies today. These are the movies that don't get made. Mm -hmm. Because they don't, make, they don't make small to medium budget movies anymore. They buy independent movies and they make blockbusters. 
you don't so the the only hope today for a movie like Doc Hollywood would be that it got made as an independent movie and then a, a studio bought it and distributed it um but i don't you know the, then it a movie like this doesn't get made as an independent movie because it's not edgy enough or whatever like it's just kind of a sweet story um but yeah i highly recommend that anybody uh who has not seen doc hollywood should see it and if you have seen it and it's been a while i recommend that you watch it again and I don't only recommend it because Julie Warner's boobs are in it. Although 11-year-old Dan very much enjoyed and was surprised by that part in the theater. It happens very early on in the movie. And it's just like, what? It is not available anywhere to stream. You can purchase it digitally for $9.99. Or, let's see, you can buy the DVD for $5 on Amazon. That's a steal. You can buy the VHS tape for a dollar ninety-five. Okay, you can rent it on Amazon Video too for four bucks, which means you probably can also rent it. If you're um, gonna rent it for four bucks, buy the DVD for five. Exactly, because let me let me tell you, this is a great example of a movie where you don't you don't really need high def on this. You know, there's there's a lot of movies that. I mean, not for the boobs. <laughs> Okay, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you should really, you should really get this on Blu-ray. Do they have this in 4K? Is it is it available? What about 3D? You might get poked in the eye. Oh man, the original soundtrack for only 49 cents. What all songs are on it? Oh, it's a uh, it's like the score. No kidding. Oh, it has kind of a I kind of remember it having a cute theme. Yep. Hey, so uh, can you stand there and be quiet for a second while Mom and I wrap up the show? It'll just take a second. Standing quiet. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. That'll that'll do it for this time on Spousal Privilege. Goodbye. We'll talk to you in a few weeks. I might read another book. Oh, you might. In, we, we are going on vacation. Yes. So you'll have some four-hour plane ride to L.A. and Times back. Times two. Uh, reading time. Penelope will get some serious iPad time. Mm -hmm. I'll be editing this show Yay. for release uh, on Monday, or the, the Monday that we're coming back. We have another podcast to edit. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'll probably have multiples. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening. Whoever you are. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> if you'd like to contact us, all the info's in the show notes. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thanks. <laughs>